Hello, and thank you for listening to the From Lost to Light podcast. And my name is Angie, and I have here with me my lovely co-host, Michelle. Hey, Angie, how you doing today? <laughs> Hi. We kind of seem just to be a little off a little today, because actually, I saw Psychic Kelly say that today is a weird day. I don't know if you saw that. I did. <laughs> She's <laughs> so, usually right. Yeah, exactly. And so, and then we have in-house with us today, our special guest, Sue. Hi, Sue. Hi, Angie. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Sue. So glad you could join us today. Other than that, before we get started, Michelle, any new things going on in the book front? Actually, yeah, they started recording my audiobook. Oh my gosh, I cannot That's wait. That's pretty exciting. I kind of heard, I saw what you wrote on Facebook about that. Very surreal to hear your story being read for a book. I bet. And hearing bet. the chapters, I was getting into the chapters, I'm thinking, wow, this is a good story. <laughs> I want to see what go- happens next because it's somebody else's voice. Exactly. And I was like, oh, wait, this is my story. Oh, that's awesome. That's so, so exciting. And then I'm going to be at the... Well, by the time this airs, it'll be over, though. The Council Bluffs Public Library in a few, I, November 12th. So maybe it might be. Yeah. Yeah. It might Actually, be. Actually, yeah. Work out that guests might hear this. Perfect. Okay. And what are you, you're just doing a book signing and talking? Uh, yeah. They're just having like a local author fair type thing okay. where local authors are just there for a couple hours. People okay. can come and talk to you about your book. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Well, we are going to dive in with our guest, Sue. Um, I have known Sue for quite a while. Um, Her family and my family were um, friends together. We lived in the same community. And my brother, Seth, and her daughter, Heather, um, were the same age. And um, so it's kind of, that's how we kind of knew. I think, Sue, did you guys carpool like they carpooled together to preschool to preschool mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I was like um I love that I always love that but um Sue has an amazing story of um lost to light and it is in regards to her daughter Heather and um what they've they've built in her memory and so Sue why don't you just start off telling us a little bit about yourself and um kind of go from there and then we'll just let it go from go there okay well Starting, you know, today, I had a nice lunch. Good. <laughs> Got here early. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, uh, my life right now is is good. Um, it took a while to get there, obviously, after loss, um, but we've made it work. Um, I do volunteer work. I, even at my age, I still substitute sometimes. That's amazing. Um, uh, sure yeah, it it's, it's fun. Um, You know, we do fundraisers, but we um, really like to be involved in the community, um, do special things, try to help people. Um, Yeah. Just spend time with family. Yeah. Yeah. You had, um, you guys just did a little fundraiser thing with the Omaha Lancers, right? We did. Um, Heather used to work for them actually in the 90s. We, um, they call them billets, but we called it housing back then. And we uh, the kids all went to Millard North, where I taught, and they convinced me that we should house for the following year. And so in the 90s, we housed the Lancers, different ones. And um, when Heather went to college, she was in marketing, and she did her internship with the Lancers and then wound up getting a job there. So she worked for that group for a long time, and... Uh, They've been really good to us about hosting 
we've kind of gotten away from the brain cancer to just Lancers fight cancer. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That looked like a fun event. Well, I'm anxious to hear more about your daughter. Can you share with us a little bit about Heather and... I can share a lot about Heather, but a lot of it's inappropriate because her, <laughs> her sense of humor was different. Um, Heather was <clears throat> the third child. Um, she was um, our baby, obviously. Um, as she grew, uh, she just had a sense of humor where she could memorize things. She's one of those people who could memorize anything but sucked at school. You know, it just wasn't her thing as far as... Um, <coughs> math and various things, but um, she, as she grew, and she was, like I said, very funny, one-liners, we just enjoyed her, and I know a lot of people talk about how close they are to their kids, and we're no different. Um, It's just, you know, a lot of people who have children in their late 20s and 30s cannot (coughs) honestly say that they talked to their child three or four times a day and that there wasn't probably a hardly ever a day that we didn't see her. So we were very close. Um, she, one of the things that she would do in college is, you know, you go to bed, you go to sleep and you're sound asleep, just hoping your kids are home. Everything's fine. She lived in an apartment and I'd get a phone call about two in the morning and she would recite a Jack Handy line. <laughs> and I'm like, and then sometimes she'd make them up herself. And I'm like, why are you doing this to me? Because now she's laughing, going to bed, and I'm wide awake, you know. Uh-huh. So, yeah. She she was a good kid. Um, those are some neat stories. I'm glad you have those memories. Yes, yeah. we do. I can just, I mean, just knowing who Heather was and knowing your family, it just, like I said, I was telling Sue before we got on here that um, – I don't know what made me think about them the other day, but just their their many um, adventures that they had, um, you know, while Heather was sick. So, Right. We went to, for eight years, we'd go to San Francisco for treatment every two months for eight years. And so we would always have a fun day prior to that. So it'd be either fun day Monday or fun day Tuesday. <clears throat> and one of the probably funniest things that you're thinking about is... She had to go to the restroom at the airport when we landed, and she had a left side that didn't work really well um, because of all the treatment and everything. And so I went in and, of course, came out before she did. And she came out, and we start slowly walking down um, the terminal. And a bunch of people passed us, but finally this one sweet man, about 24 came up and said, ma'am, you have something hanging out of your pants. We assumed it was toilet paper, but it wasn't. It was an entire seat cushion that she was dragging behind. And I'm like, why didn't all those other 50 people tell us that? Exactly, yeah. So, of course, I laughed. And, of course, she's like, get it off of me, get it off of me. Oh, that's a good one. That's funny. I don't know if I've heard that one. Um, okay, so Sue, you wanna um, do you wanna start by telling us, um, you know, about Heather's diagnosis and that journey? Sure. Um, I always say her journey started actually in 1962, and that's when my father was diagnosed 
and passed from brain cancer. And in 1962, they didn't have the diagnostics, they didn't have the chemo, they didn't have anything. Um, and so that's all I really knew about it. And I knew he'd had severe headaches. I was only 12. Um, 12 back then was probably more like six now. You know, they just didn't share things with people. So when Heather in 2008, in January of 2008, started having severe headaches, never in a million years did I think of brain cancer. And I just said, well, you know, you just changed jobs. You're on a computer a lot more. When's the last time that you went to an eye doctor? So we did all of that. And it was her eye, our eye doctor who said, you know, this isn't your eyes. I think you really need to go and see your doctor. Well, at that time, Heather was the office manager at her doctor's office. So she called up. They got her right in. It was on a Wednesday and they just took, sent her right away for an MRI. So we knew that, we actually knew that night because the technician came out and said, I don't know if I can let you go home. And then I knew that it was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, within two weeks, she had had all of the pre um, stuff. She had had her craniotomy. She had had everything that went really very quickly after that. And we knew... I knew then, in my heart, I knew what the prognosis was going to be, um, but you never give up hope. No, no, never. Mm -hmm. When did she actually pass away? She passed away in November of 2016, so she lived for eight and a half years battling it. Wow. But she she battled it on many levels, like she had a lot of different medications, obviously she lost uh, the use of her left side from her two craniotomies. She had strokes, um, which took more of her left side. She got Graves' disease, which gave her the buggy eyes, you know, and they had to take care of that. And she had uh, a lot of steroids, so she would, you know, puff up in her head. You know, she'd lose her hair. Um, she, she battled on many levels, and somebody told me once she really won more than she lost. She was a fighter. I would have to agree with that. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and maybe I missed this because I had to step out for a second, but was she ever married? No, she actually had um, a boyfriend when she was diagnosed and she did get engaged with him. um, And um, about six weeks before the wedding, we found out he had a girlfriend, and so the um, obviously the wedding was called off. We actually found out that he was here. We've, we'd known him for six years, that he was here illegally from Canada, and um, there was just a lot of going on. And so during her treatment, this was, you know, in 2012, during her treatment, now she also had um, a wedding called off. We had everything done for that, so... Yeah, and she did it. She was trooper. She went to work. Nobody even knew at work. They thought, "When are you getting married?" <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not." <laughs> and I'm sure with um, just the way that all the dignity and everything that Heather carried, I'm sure that she probably just carried it through, just with just like that. Yep. No, but you know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So she was your youngest. She is. And mm-hmm. 
Do you have uh, sons or daughters? No, or? we have three daughters. Okay. Mm-hmm. And one grandchild. Okay. Mm-hmm. So her sisters, you know, lost, you know, a sibling, and Angie knows what that's like um, to do that. But yeah, I lost. A, yeah, I've lost a sibling too. So it's, I, I do it's understand. It's a different level. Yeah, it is. It tough. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Sue, then after, um, and this actually wasn't after Heather had died, but during Heather's cancer journey. Um, explain to us what you guys started. Well, we decided because we lived with so much hope and Heather lived with so much hope. But what happened was when Heather was diagnosed, Omaha did not have a neuro-oncologist, um, which I didn't even know we needed a neuro-oncologist. But um, and so we realized that Omaha didn't have anything for brain cancer patients. Um, And we decided that that can't happen in a city the size of Omaha. So while we had to find our place to go, which wound up being San Francisco, we wanted to bring that knowledge to Omaha. So we created um, a foundation And because Heather was an avid swimmer and she started swimming when she was 20 months old, she loved it. We called her Frog. We decided we named it Leap for a Cure. And um, we had uh, our goal, our mission. We had to decide how did we want to do this? What did we want to do? And everybody oftentimes says, well, I think, you know, you want to do research. And I'm like, yeah, no. You know, we're not going to be that big. We're local. Our goal, our mission is to bring education, to bring awareness, to bring improved diagnostic testing, something for people who have it right now. Um, And so that's what we decided to do. And we worked with the Methodist Hospital Foundation, and they've been wonderful. And then as we started having different fundraisers and bringing in money, then we had to decide, well, how are we going to spend it? Um, and so we would ask the radiology department, what do you guys need? Um, we would ask the physical therapy department, what do you need for people who are battling this right now and who've had a stroke, who is like a traumatic brain injury? You know, they had to... Some, like Heather, when she had her, she had to learn to walk again. Um, She had to learn to get her arms and her legs strong again on her left side. And actually, she was sent to Brookstone Meadows out in Elkhorn, a rehab facility, to use their pool. And then she decided that's what we want for Methodist. We want a pool. And so that was what we really worked on, along with all the other little things that we were doing um, and we finally, she n- did not get to see the pool, but she knew it was going to be done. It took like five years, so uh, we got the pool. Yeah. And so it's being used and um, for lots of people. And that's at Methodist here in Omaha? It, it is. It's not at the hospital. It's, it's at one of their um, clinics at 156th and Dodge, but it's used nonstop, nonstop. So I'm very proud of that accomplishment. And it's called? Heather's Healing Pad. Yes. <laughs> oh, that. how cool. Yeah. Methodist yeah. done a great job with remembering her with that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. And it's just um, part of all that is, yeah, like you said, just you don't, Omaha did not have the, any of the tools that they needed for, you know, the patients. And when, you know, my brother Seth, when he was first diagnosed, um, you know, his, his was not, you know, as, as far along as Heather's was when he was Mm -hmm. originally diagnosed. He was like stage one Mm -hmm. or grade one. And, um, you know, he had to have the craniotomy and that Mm -hmm. was it, fortunately. And he didn't have to do anything else. And then, you know, when his came back again, it was kind of the same thing. It was just graded as a grade one or stage one. Mm And, um, again, he didn't have to have the, you know, so Seth was fortunate in those, um, you know, those early years of his diagnosis of a brain tumor, you know, until it did come back with a vengeance. And then he never, you know, got the opportunity to even receive any type of treatment. But well, and that's, that is the thing about it. When it comes back, um, it usually comes back as a glial. And no matter what your stage you were, um, they call them grades in brain cancer. Mm -hmm. So um, well, yeah, and we learned that um, now Omaha does have a neuro-oncologist, so it's a little bit different, but back then we were told hers came back as a grade two, which is called a diffuse astrocytoma, and we were told, oh, they don't do anything, and I'm like, um, what, you know, what do you mean you don't do anything, and I, I, give me another cancer, you don't do anything. So I did a lot of research, and sure enough, there wasn't. They they didn't have anything. And so when we went to San Francisco, um, prior to going to San Francisco, I talked with Dr. Susan Chang there, and she goes, we're having a trial for grade two. Um, and so we want Heather in, in that trial. So, you know, that was our first trip out there, but the problem was is that the um, – the biopsy had been read incorrectly, and it was already a grade three. It was actually um, anaplastic astrocytoma. And she goes, well, you know, here's the thing. The trial was exactly what we do for grade three, so here you are. This is what wow. we're going to do. So, yeah. yeah. I just, it's it still amazes me today with, um, you know, with where we are at today in the world with um, science and technology for brain tumors and any type of cancers, you know, it's just, we, we are so far behind. It's just, it blows my mind. I agree. My husband and I were just talking last night. I said, of all, all the advancements, why isn't cancer just like cancer, right? You know, why can't all cancers be treated relatively the same? Mm -hmm. Why are some resistant to treatment? I mean, I did learn about the you know, the blood barrier and stuff mm-hmm. of the brain that the chemo does, you know, can't get through that. And, but, but it's like, there's got to be a way. Yeah, there has to be. There has to be a way. <laughs> I just, you know, I just, I mean, you, you know, Michelle, you've been in the medical field. So yeah. What's your um, take on that? Uh, well, every day they're learning new things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think the hard part is when you've had somebody that has died from really any kind of diagnosis, mm-hmm. heart disease, cancer, whatever, and then, you know, maybe five, six years down the road, they do come up with some treatment, and you just, you know, you think to yourself, oh, if that could have only been back then. Mm-hmm. But always, um, you're right. It's too bad that it wasn't like across-the-board kind of treatments, and, 
you know, kind of like it is with, in some ways, heart disease, you know, you know, all the steps you're probably going to take when you're diagnosed. But Mm -hmm. I'm interested in, now I've, I've lost my husband and Mm -hmm. siblings, my parents, but not a child. And, you know, I've heard Angie's story and I have other friends that have lost their children. And I, I would like to hear more from you, like, because your daughter was an adult already mm-hmm. and she was on her own mm-hmm. and, but she was single at the time, mm-hmm. you know, so did she move in with you guys or how did that all go for her and your family? What did you go through? Um, she owned her own home uh, in Exarban and when she was diagnosed, uh, as the years went on and she progressed, we wanted her closer to us and we happened to live in West Omaha. So we sold her home, and she bought another house just a uh, neighborhood away from us. And so she lived on her own until June of 2014. Uh, We did a lot for her physically that she couldn't do, but, you know, she would be out there mowing her lawn, dragging her little left leg and, um, you know, doing stuff. But so she did not move in with us until June of 2014. Um, So and that was simply because she needed help. You know, she needed help getting into bed. She needed help doing daily things. And so once she moved in, she didn't move back. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. That must have been um, incredibly proud. You must have been incredibly proud of her. Very for her going through all that, and she still wanted to be on her own and be as Mm -hmm. independent as she could. Mm -hmm. And you knew she was over there, you know, by herself, and I just can't imagine how proudful you were. Very. You know, she, she, I learned a lot from my, um, my daughter, my husband, we both, we all say how much we learned from her. She didn't know she was teaching us, but she did. Um, I I feel that because of her and watching what she went through, I think I'm a better person because I I just respect what she did so much. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm kind of blown away. I'm sitting here thinking, wow, you know, yeah. she must have been quite the spirit spirited person to be able to go through all of that. And she was. She. We learned on January, I'll never forget the day, July 13th, um, we were in San Francisco, and it just happened to be one of those times where nobody was with us. It was just Heather and me, and she was given two months to live. And my dad had died on September 13th. Heather was born on September 13th. September 13th is two months from July 13th. And I'm like, this is not going to happen on September 13th. Um, But we both knew we had to get back to the airport. We had to fly home. Um, And she, you know, she said, I need a drink, (laughs) you know, (laughs) on the plane. And I'm like, yeah, I do too, hon. Yeah. Um, And so... She just, from that on, she tried everything under the sun. She said, I'm not giving up hope, Mom. I'm not giving up hope. I'm not dying on September 13th. And she didn't, but, yeah. Wow. And 
you guys did through your leap for a cure. You guys did um, the monster bashes, mm-hmm. which were the most amazing um, events that you ever planned. And but she was able to participate in the last one that she was alive for. Right. Right. That would have been um, October of 2014. Mm-hmm. Right. She came in a wheelchair. Yep, and we decorated her wheelchair of Cinderella. Yeah, I remember so, her yeah. seeing, seeing her there. That was yeah. so um, amazing. But that was um, Monster Bash was, um, and then she died November 8th. Correct. She died like two and a half weeks. It was, Monster Bash <laughs> was on a Thursday. By Saturday, she was in the hospital and and then yeah. shortly after that, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the Monster Bash? Do you still do those? Last year was our last year. Okay. Mm-hmm. We did them for 15 years. Um, yeah, it was a fun event. It was a great event. It was a family-friendly event. Um, a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work. A lot of work, yes. Yeah, Angie, Angie helped with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was on the committee for the past few years mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. But it was nice because um, the families, they would sign up. There was um, a costume contest. There were raffles. There were door prizes, Mm -hmm. amazing food, band. um, Kid area. The kid area. I mean, um, Sue, they they just did it. I mean, balls out. (laughs) Balls out. (laughs) Heather made me say that. Yeah, that would be Heather. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I love that in the beginning. We used to we used to come to that um, prior to me being on the committee. But Mm -hmm. um, I always remember. I mean, Heather just. I'm so glad, you know, to know that she was able to be a a part of that from the very beginning Mm -hmm. and just being able to help you guys um, build that. She did. She get. She actually gathered some of our sponsors. She connected us, you know, with her connections. That that kid always had a connection with somebody somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah, she was a big part of it. Yeah, I feel like your whole family does have good connections in the Omaha area. <laughs> even even your Michelle, her daughter's name is Michelle. She right. has a lot of connections as well throughout the community. She was right. always a big part of. Right the monster bash Mm -hmm. and getting the donations and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the swimming pool then was uh, the biggest? It was the biggest as far as, you know, cost value. Um, And, but we've done a a lot. I should (laughs) have, I don't have that sheet with me, but yeah, we have, we've raised about 1.5 million. And then, um, the foundation did capital campaigns, you know, to help fund um, things, you know, the pool, for example. Uh, so different big items as well. But we always had something to start with. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Was there a, was there like a radiation? Yes. It's, we did the stealth merge. That That's was one was. of the first things that um, we purchased. Um, and then we did... Um, a new radiation update, yes. Yeah, um, I, could, I thought there was mm-hmm. something with that. Yeah, we've done probably 15, 16 um, items, uh, and all, you know, granted, 
1.5 million would not have purchased all those items. No, so, exactly. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of support um, along the way. Mm-hmm. Well, 1.5 is still a very significant amount mm-hmm. of money that yeah. you put back into the community. Well, and I think that's the important thing is that I, when we were, you know, promote this idea, it's like all of the money stays here. Right. There are no salaries involved whatsoever. Um, everything was volunteer, and every dime stays right here in Omaha, benefiting those who not only have a brain tumor, but a traumatic brain injury, a stroke, anything that would affect the. I mean, I know people who have multiple sclerosis that are using that pool. Mm-hmm. So it is not just, um, they're all, it's all good causes, all for good. Obviously, Heather has touched many lives. Uh, so that, um, just across that, just even the people that go there as patients. Right. It is. I, I mean, one of my things was I don't, and this was back in the day when I we fought so hard for this pool, and we had um, Dr. Franco who fought so hard for this pool. I, I remember being kind of snotty and going, I don't want some 16-year-old with a torn ACL coming in and taking up time with this. Uh, and now I don't care. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. I wanted it. <laughs> and I do know cas- cancer patients are using it. And I do know everybody that I want to use it. Mm-hmm. I do know they are using it. So I don't care. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's being used. And that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. Yeah. Correct. For sure. Right. Right. Um, so also through your journey, you know, um, you've become friends and almost family with a lot of families Mm -hmm. that have also been diagnosed with brain tumors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as they lose their family members throughout the, you know, their journeys, I mean, what part have you been able to help them or guide them with? Anything particular that? You know, I think I learned very quickly that everybody's grief journey is private. Um, What works for me? doesn't work for somebody else, and there's no right or wrong. Um, I've learned to just say, I'm sorry. I can't, you know, because there are no words. Um, I have helped people, like, get second opinions. Um, I've helped people with things that are not medical, obviously, where you can get involved, maybe, like, the National Organization Head for the Cure that comes into Omaha every year. Um, Things like that. Um, For me, on my journey, when Heather um, died, and I use the word died or passed. A lot of people use the word transitions or whatever. I, you know what? She died. She's, that's how I feel, but not everybody uses those words. Um, I read. I read nonstop. Um, And a lot of people don't. That's so my offer to them are the books that I, you know, I've donated all those books, but different books that help me, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really think there is one thing that you can do to help somebody because they are so deep in their grief at that moment that nothing I can do or say can make it any better for them. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's tough. Grief is a nasty monster. Yeah. That likes to pop its head up even years later. 
Yeah, it. I don't think it'll ever. It, there's when your loved one, like you can accept. You know, both my parents. Well, my dad died when I was twelve, and my mom uh, died when she was in her nineties. Um, those are losses that you that are hurt. They hurt. You know, you want your mom, you want your dad, you want whatever. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, Child is different, though. Well, it's your future. It is different, but it does neg- does not negate the feelings that you guys felt when your husbands died, because they're your partners that would be there for you if you had and when you had a child loss. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I don't ever want to put a, oh, this is worse than this, um, because they're different. And they, but when somebody dies that's very close to you, a part of you dies with them. And so when you're putting your heart back together, there's that piece that's missing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people always say, I just want to be, you know, the way I was. I ne-. And you're not. You never are. You're not going to be, and it's okay, Mm -hmm. because you've put your heart back, and you're you're still that missing link, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you can't live. You create your new normal. Right, you know, and your new normal isn't what you want, but you have to learn to live with it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Somebody else facing a similar journey, um, you know, my loss with my spouse was a car crash, mm-hmm. and so it was sudden and traumatic. Mm-hmm. But for both of you ladies, you faced the encounter of cancer diagnosis that you, even though you were holding out for hope, like you said, you kind of knew in the pit mm-hmm. of your stomach, you know, what the outcome was going to be, and, and you did too at times, Angie. What advice can you give to somebody that might be listening that maybe they have a loved one that's very close to them that just got a terrible diagnosis and they are going to be facing? I don't know, Angie. What you, <laughs> is, I, I guess what I think is that there really isn't any word um, or words other than Right before Heather died, somebody that I barely knew, barely knew this woman, sent us two bracelets and had it engraved. And the engraved bracelets say, when the world says you can't, hope says give it one more try. And we put that on her tombstone. She's buried with that in her, you know, with her. I, so for me, I say you can never give up hope. Um, it doesn't mean that your hope is that, that the inevitable isn't going to happen, but you can hope for more memories. You can hope for um, that shared love. You can hope for an understanding. You can hope for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, hope for something in the future. And you are very envious it's not like you don't want it to happen, mm-hmm. and but you wish it had happened when your loved one was going right. through it. Mm-hmm. And so there is a little bit of envy there, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean you've given up hope. I continue to have hope mm-hmm. for better treatment options. I continue to have. So I guess that it sounds cliche-ish. You know, but hope. You know that's kind of when, when Jack um, was diagnosed with his cancer diagnosis, um, you know, I 
we knew. I mean, he was diagnosed terminal stage mm-hmm. four cancer, and we didn't know how long Jack would live. But, um, you know, he battled for 16 months. And I just remember um, Jack was at home when he died. He was on hospice, and he was on hospice for just two days. But um, we had a carrying bridge site for Jack, and, um, you know, all along, you know, it just it went really fast. But we were we were like, we are not giving up. You know, that was Wednesday. We are not giving up. We're going to do this. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. You know, Thursday comes around. We are not giving up, you know, and Friday, we're not giving up. Even the hospice was coming to set up. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, Saturday, I, it was either Friday night or Saturday, I wrote on Jack's Caring Bridge site and said, you know, I said, we still have not given up hope, but now our hope is changed. You know, it's changed. Our hope is that Jack is comfortable and Jack's not in pain. And, you know, our mm-hmm. hope is that, you know, he'll be able to meet our son again. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that was all, that was what my hope was, you know, and it right. changed. And, um, and I'm the same with you. I don't, I haven't lost my hope in this whole journey, you know, and, um, cause I just think there's, there's something more and, um, and that's what I worry about. I um, I belong to a uh, support group um, on Facebook. It's called Helping Parents Heal. And I belong to that because it's a private group. I joined another one, and then I found out it wasn't private, and the whole world could see my comment. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want that. This is a private group. And sometimes I have to step away because there are people who have been on this journey. They might just be beginning, and I feel like, okay, I, I can help you. And there are people who are five, six, seven, ten years down the road, and they're still here. Mm-hmm. And I, <clears throat> I worry about them because <coughs> that I, you know, you've got to be able to live on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And the, building the new normal <clears throat> and moving forward. Yeah, and I and I do worry about them, and I was like, so I oftentimes I said, you know, start a support group. Start one on your own, you know, like we did in Elkhorn. Yeah. Well, I didn't start it. You guys did. Yeah. But, um, you know, that d- start one because there are other people within a 30-mile radius who's going through the same thing you are, that sense of loss. Mm-hmm. Do something so that you can find hope for the future, that you are not just sitting here. Yeah. I worry about people yeah. like that. Because if you don't have hope, I don't know. I don't know what you have. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think some of it depends on, and and you'll get this because you've you've had both. Your your son was sudden traumatic. Your husband was you knew it was coming, mm-hmm. even though you still held out hope. Yeah. And I think um, you probably can talk better about this than I can because you've experienced both kinds up front and close. But the sudden traumatic. Um, it's a beast of its own, you know, because one minute everything, your world is fine, and then the next minute they're gone, and you can't, like in my case, I was, I had started a conversation with my husband on the phone, and he didn't come home for us to finish the conversation that we were planning on finishing, and so there's all these whys left over and, you know, lingering out there, and so sometimes I, I belong to a lot of, or I had in the past, grief groups, and I I think those that, it depends on the kind of loss, that some get really stuck. 
you know, in the grief journey and maybe have a harder time getting over that hump um, to get on with their new normal moving in a forward motion. I think it is difficult. I think they're both very different. Um, The end result is the same. Yep. Yep. But I think um, somebody in, in a group that I was in one time, his son had died suddenly and he unfortunately tried to make it worse than, and there is no worse. I mean, no, they're both the there's same. There's no worse. They're, I mean, you can't compare. Yeah. But I, I just said to him, I cannot imagine, like you, Michelle, ha- not being able to finish that conversation that you started. I mean, that would gnaw at me, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I don't question that at all. And But I also looked at him and said, but you didn't have to watch your child die Correct. for a half That's years. the other side of it. There's another side to, mm-hmm. there is, they're both horrible. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I don't want to know your side. Yeah, I don't right. ever want to have to go there. Angie's done them both. Yeah. yeah that's, you're yeah. probably more of an expert than yeah. either one of us because yeah. what do you have to say about that? <laughs> you know, I honestly, I, I believe I'm still trying to figure it out, um, how I feel about it really, mm-hmm. um. A lot of it is I can't compare. I can't compare them because I don't think that's fair to my people. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so um, I have to just separate them and grieve them each individually um, because I think that's for me mentally, I have to do that. And for them, I think that's what I need to do for them. Um, and then, you know, I just, I've just learned how to grieve, I guess. Um, the best way I can from a sudden loss to a, an illness, you know, a diagnosis like that. So, well, I don't think the grieving process truly ever ends. No. no. And so it doesn't matter in the end. We, once you've witnessed the loss, it doesn't really matter how that loss happened. Mm -hmm. It just matters that the loss is there and the grief has begun. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, the grief might begin a little bit earlier when you know it's going to happen. Anticipatory. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because it's the same. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the sense of loss is ugly. Yeah. I remember in the early days of my grief journey, I was on these widow groups. There used to be this widow group called Young Widows Bulletin Board. It's not active anymore, but there was probably, I think, like 13,000 people on it international Mm -hmm. and they had these separate section like one was like a new grief and then was there was a section like I don't know six months to 12 months out then it was you know 12 months to whatever so there was different groups and you could go into these different areas and I remembered the the grief was so raw for me that I had a hard time reading other people's posts that were also raw because I felt myself feeding off that rawness. And so I would always jump ahead and read what people who were further out, what they were writing. Like it gave me some hope. Like they got through theirs. Look at what they're doing. I can do this too. I can get there. And I found that in the books that I read because I only wanted to read books from people who have lost a child. Mm -hmm. Uh Um, And and then I just realized that I'm not in this alone. And when I joined the group in Elkhorn, um, and then when I joined that group online, 
we're, you're not in it alone. No. And you have to, you can learn from other people. Um, and that's, you know, I just made the decision instead of laying in a ball in the fetal position, smelling her clothes mm-hmm. um, on the floor, that I better start reading and learning how I'm going to handle this because yeah. this is not what I want to be mm-hmm. forever. And you as a mother of other daughters, you were probably dealing, like I know for me, I was dealing with my grief and then I was watching my 15-year-old grief. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, you're trying to manage your own grief, but then you're also concerned about your other children or child mm-hmm. and how how they're grieving through this because you're always a parent. I think, and I know Angie and I have talked about this before because she was worried about Gracie. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a valuable lesson um, when we were, my husband and I were both grieving. And yeah, you're right. We had our other two daughters and we had a little granddaughter that needed, you know, she was two. She needed some attention. Um, my husband and I grieved very differently. And I would get angry that he was keeping busy. And I'm like, I'm on the floor crying in this fetal position. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do what? You know, you're supposed to be here on the floor grieving with me. Um, And so I was really angry with him. uh, And he thought there was something wrong with me that I was so mad at him. Um, And a therapist told me, she said, you, my friend, need to respect and honor his grief journey as well. Just because it's not yours doesn't mean it's not a journey. And I'm like, it was very good advice. And that is one advice I have given to people. I'm like, oh my gosh, you better respect Mm -hmm. everybody who's on this grief journey with you because we're all going to do it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I always say to people too, like when they ask, I'm just like, meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. Meet them where they're at on their grief journey, Mm -hmm. wherever that's at. You know, if Mm -hmm. they're, if they're, we're here yesterday at a high and doing good. And then tomorrow they're at a low, low, low. You just have to, you have to, you know, change paces too. And be a good listener. Yeah. Be a very good listener. Yeah. Well, we're going to be wrapping this up. Um, Sue, Mm -hmm. this has really opened my eyes up a little bit. Um, You know, even though my journey is a little further out than yours, um, I, I think we can always still learn and appreciate the differences that we have in our grief journeys and how you highlighted even the difference between you and your husband. Mm -hmm. And I think ending on that note, um, just having the respect for others and their differences and that we all might be um, traveling the the journey just a little bit different than somebody else. I remember, for me, people saying, well, aren't you over, Joe, yet? And I was like, (laughs) I had somebody actually say that to me, and I I'm like, really? <laughs> like, you don't ever get over them. But anyway. Yeah, that's so, when you need one of my yeah. cards, and then you say, "I'm next person that says something, I'm going to throat punch them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Speaking of your well, cards. Did, Sue, did, did you, we always end with either a quote yeah. or a line from a book, or do you have a special one that you want to share with us? Well, I, or did I've you already just, said it. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. It, it basically it's a good is reminder. just, when the world says you can't, hope says give it one more try. I love that. I love that too. Mm-hmm. That should be on a card. 
I should put that on a card. <laughs> Heather says you can put it on a card. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Sue has given me some. Um, <laughs> she's already given me that, yeah. Yeah. Well, you were speaking of your cards. You know, last time we were together, we talked about a promo code. Yes. You and that is, yes, that's that still up? active. You can go to my website, butterfliesandhalos.com, and... Or if you're more of an Etsy person, that's fine, too. You can find me on Butterflies and Halos. and um, But it's Podcast 15, and you can just plug that in when you're checking out, and you get 15% off of your um, cards purchase. So come visit my website. Yes, and they are great cards. They I are. I love them. Yes. I love them. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you again, Sue. Thank you, Sue. And great. Um, just want to tell all our listeners to have a good ending to fall. We're looking at winter right across the <laughs> right around the corner. You got your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yes. Well, thank you. Okay. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.